1: Hey, 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 man, what's going on? Oh, it's been a busy weekend, a busy week. Uh, we actually got out of town for a, a brief while. We uh, we drove down to a place called uh, Clark Lake and had like a, a 24-hour vacation there with the kids. Oh, well, that's kind Visited of cool. Visited some friends of ours. I had a teacher in sixth grade named
0: Mr. Clark. I wonder if that's his lake. Uh, possibly. Could be, could be. So, uh, other than that, what's been going on? I've been doing... Um, some work on mastering some live recordings I made from the Stone Soup Music Festival last
1: August. That sounds that sounds pretty cool. And you're not having one this year. You mentioned. Yeah, uh, due to a variety of conflicts for basically
0: everyone in the hierarchy of the event, the planners, and as well as uh, some of the main headlining acts, it just can't happen. I'm the only person who could make it if we did it, and that wouldn't be very fun.
1: <laughs> no, that's too bad. But you said you had something like 17 hours of uh, live recordings 14. to deal with? I got 14 hours of live recordings, 19
0: sets approximately, um, you know, 12 or 13 bands. And I'm Uh mastering those all to CD, and I'm um, uh, just spending... I've only begun the process, but I ignored the work all winter because the winter kind of gets me down, and I was just dreading doing it because it's so much music. But uh, one of the other executive producers on the steering committee, Bronnie, wrote me a check. (laughs) She said, how much is it going to take to get you to do that? I see. And I said, whatever you think is fair, and she wrote me a check, and I got that in the mail about a week ago, so I... uh, I now you am, have a uh, little motivation. I have well, motivation and guilt. I think will uh, yeah. <laughs> will work in this case.
1: But it's supposed to be fun too. Like, well, I am is... having
0: fun with it because um, I'm getting to play with a new multi-band compressor plugin that I just got, and um, I'm getting to play with the analog tape compression plugin that's built into the Mixbus dig- Digital Workstation. Cool. Yeah the the sounds good too that those uh they have world class DSP Harrison does and they um they built that into mix bus and it
1: sounds really nice it gives the the recordings a lot of glue uh i'll have to i'll have to look into that sometime but i did have two little follow ups um well one follow up and then one little story from the weekend uh so yeah we we talked last time about what we eat and using it as sort of a jumping off point to talk about you know Basically, how we think we should structure our lives to be, uh, you know, live uh, live better, healthier. You know, not feed uh, any entities that we consider unsavory. Right. But we did go uh, this past week. We did go off the rails. So we had our recording last week, but then, uh, like. I think Thursday was like Tim Horton's morning and then uh, pizza for dinner. And then we were off the rails for several days. And then when we were down visiting friends, I was eating Pop-Tarts and hot dogs and white bread and all this. And it was hmm. interesting just to uh, to to realize how bad that makes me feel. Yeah. You well. know, just lost the energy. You know, your joints start to hurt. Uh, I get heartburn when I eat things like Pop-Tarts, that kind of Sugar-y. corn syrup. Yeah. Yeah. Sugar itself, like cane sugar, doesn't. But all those, you know, additives and stuff. Yeah, it's just no good. I
0: had a pizza last week myself. I hadn't made myself a gluten free pizza in quite some time. So I made myself a little pizza. And uh, wow, I I got to use my new sauce that I made, too. I made some uh, marinara
1: with a little red wine. Oh, so good. I'm not opposed to pizza. I love pizza. I think a pizza can be pretty good for you. But if it's all, depends on how, you know, the quality of the ingredients. Yeah.
0: I like pizza, not what we used to call it in high school, greetsa.
1: Right. Right. So we also had one strange little uh, incident where the kids were playing a little rough, having a pillow fight. And it was Veronica, my daughter, who was sort of uh, like the ringleader of this fight. And uh, we told her to stop, and she didn't stop, and went back, and they got at it again. And then uh, the uh, grandson of our host, like, took a spill and landed in such a way that he hit his uh, side of his head against this mirror that was on the floor, mm. and it had, like, a little metal eye bolt sticking out of it. And he sliced his ear somehow. Still not like, uh, it actually tore. The cartilage tore. Ouch. And so it wasn't just bleeding him. Mean, it was bleeding, but not that much. But you could see like this, I don't know, half inch, not half inch, quarter inch tear through the cartilage. And we go, oh, geez, that's ugly. And then he, you know, was freaking out. The Did kid. Uh,
0: hospital intervention uh, necessary there?
1: Yeah, they had to take him in. Uh, they took him to a local urgent care clinic, I guess, and we were thinking, oh, great, he's going to be gone for some time. But actually, they he had four stitches, they, they bandaged him up, and he was back home kind of chagrined, but he uh, he got his groove back. He started feeling better after a while. But Well, you know, I've I don't got, know,
0: got uh, a lot of scars on my body from when I was a kid,
1: and every one of them is a good story. Do you? But yeah, it seems like cartilage, though, is like uh, something you don't want to... Mess with like just a cut or something is easier to heal up. It might take a while to heal. I don't know.
0: Well, I'm not a fan of any injuries, but you know, yeah. down the
1: road, like I said, they always provide for good stories. We were, yeah, Grace and I were looking at each other after they took him away and we're like, well, way not to get invited back to a family uh, outing. Good <laughs> job, guys. Jeez, why yeah. don't you kill him next time?
0: <laughs> so, we're um, feeling kind of guilty, you know, we got that voicemail last week from Scott. We did from Ubuntu Studio, or I think as he called it, Ubuntu Studio. He's like on the steering committee or something for Ubuntu Studio, which is the the content creation version of Ubuntu, which comes with ardor and and all of these things, video editors and, and all that for the creatives. I think that's the word that's being thrown around now. What are you? I'm a creative.
1: I'm a creative. I don't. I, I am a creative. I have done some stuff like that with Linux, but I have to say I'm not really current on the uh, multimedia Linux tools. I mostly use Linux for like building code and stuff like that.
2: Well,
0: what what did he? Uh, let's see. He sent us the voicemail. In it, he wanted us to play more rock. He wanted us to rock. I think is how he put it. And he wanted us to talk about music, so we're going to talk about music, and we're going to play some metal, some vintage metal from a band I used to do lighting and sound for back in the uh, mid-'80s. But um, I thought our first segment would kind of be about our musical influences, and I know John and I probably talked about this before, but we have some new listeners, and I'm sure most yeah. of our listeners were stoned when they uh, heard it the first time anyway, <laughs> so they don't remember. So well, I it's guess been I'm... a
1: while, too. You've probably added some influences.
0: Well, I mean, going back to when I was a kid, I, I, I was a huge music fan. My my household was a very musical household because my dad was a bit of a musician. My grandfather was a musician.
1: What's the first song you really remember like hearing on the radio and being excited about like remembering and, and humming or whatever as a kid? Jeez,
0: I wish you had asked me that in advance and I could have put more thought into that. The first song I remember here, I'm not sure I can answer that. I don't really know. Well, how about um, just a, an early song? Mm, I remember being in like first or second grade and we were singing Billy Don't Be a Hero by Bo Donaldson in the Haywoods on a bus field trip once. And then there was, of course, the Archies. Sugar, da, na 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 You know, all that bubblegum rock kind of stuff that when you're a kid you're into because you watch the Archie comics and stuff. Yeah. So I guess those might be some of the earliest songs I remember. But we also, you know, back in the day when schools put money into programs like music education, not just their sports programs, we had a oh, really, yeah, yeah. we had a really cool music teacher who always was playing really neat stuff for us in my we house. We had a great music teacher. Yeah, her name was Mrs. Harder, and I know she's retired. She's still living, and she's retired because I've I've asked some friends of mine who are still teachers in the local school district, but so she was a good influence but my household was very musical although not very interesting necessarily my dad and mom are big into the polka thing so (laughs) there was always polkas being played in our house but my dad would also my stepfather
1: was Polish and he used to he used to play uh, polkas as well
0: and you know my dad was also a big fan of uh, FM radio. We used to have this station called WIBQ, Music Just for the Two of Us. And it was like the, <sighs> one of these first automated stations that really didn't have an announcer. They just had a recording of a guy occasionally saying, WIBQ, Music Just for the Two of Us. And um, and they would play like these music act versions of all these songs. And uh, actually, I developed... A taste for Burt Bacharach's music without even realizing it. And then, like, you know, late, uh, the moment I wake up, da du- lo- nah, you know, du- yeah. say a little prayer for you. Great stuff. Great songwriter. And I didn't realize I was a Burt Ro- Bacharach fan until years later. And I was and you like, wow. he
1: was realize he was the songwriter behind like, like these hundred songs. Music. Really yeah, great, great yeah.
0: popular songs. Yeah, oh, he and, wrote a lot of stuff. Well, and here's the thing. I have a friend who's a pro audio engineer. He was on tour with Manilow for a while. He's on tour with Manilow again. And ironically, he's coming to the casino near me in a couple of months. So I'm probably going to get to meet Barry Manilow. But there was a time when my friend uh, Ken also did front of house for Burt Bacharach. And Burt, about three years ago, came and played our local beautiful Stanley Theater, you know, Mexican Baroque styling. It's an old theater like the 30s, you know, made in the 30s, just stunning plaster work and everything. Cool. And uh, I called my friend Ken, and I said, "Do you still have any contacts with with Bert?" And he goes, "Yeah, I'm still good friends with the secretary. How many tickets do you want? They'll be at the door. Done deal." I cool. show up at the door. I drop. I, by the way, was the youngest person in the house. <laughs> I bet, yeah, <laughs> because you know he had a lot of his popularity in the late '60s and early '70s. Mm-hmm. But uh, another thing that was really critical in my early musical development was music that had a lot of motion. I remember not emotion, but motion. And, motion, yeah, like the like, lo-
1: as in the locomotion?
0: Yeah, as in point-counterpoint. You know, J.S. Bach oh, would be a great example of a composer who writes a lot of motion into his music, and my weird Aspie brain craved that. And our music yeah. teacher would put something on by J.S. Bach, like a piano invention or something, and the kids would be going, boo, hiss, play that other thing. And I would <laughs> and be he like, loved it. no, no, that's amazing. What is that? And, Did, were you a fan
1: of Switched On Bach when that came out?
0: By the girl guy, uh, <laughs> Wendy slash Carlos Walter, Walter Carlos. Carlos, who did the *A Clockwork Orange* soundtrack.
1: Yes, yeah.
0: yeah. Oh, at the time I wasn't aware of it. I became more aware of Walter
1: slash Wendy. I think she's Wendy now. I think she's she's she, Wendy now. I had a I had a grade school music teacher who made me. Uh, oh, was it a great? No, I had a a, a co-worker in one of my first jobs, who made me a cassette of switched-on Bach, and I just wore that thing out. I loved it.
0: Well, yeah. it's it's definitely great stuff, and I can appreciate it a little more now. And, um, and oh, so Especially when you
1: fi- figure out how uh, it was done when there wasn't really, like, this was a, a mono synth and everything yeah. had to be multi-tracked with tape. It was, It's yeah, pretty impressive.
0: Yeah, you need a lot of voices to play Bach piano inventions, and if you were doing it on a monophonic synthesizer,
1: that means you were working pretty hard yep and then later so on in life. what's the what's the first album you remember owning that mm. like you picked out for yourself i'm afraid i'm I'm not at liberty to admit that <laughs> oh come on, I'll tell you mine <laughs> okay, you go first uh the soundtrack album for the movie grease really okay
0: yeah um I still haven't seen that movie all the way through, just because there was this period in my life where John Rivolta made me want to vomit. So I just, <laughs> I just couldn't watch it because it meant having to watch John Travolta.
1: I was a big. I, that was actually like a, a gift I got it in an Easter basket. I think probably I must have been a eight or nine years old. But then the the second one being Michael Jackson's Off the Wall, which I I loved. Mm. And I loved Motown, and I I realized, like now, many years later, that what I really loved about those albums, that and and Thriller, was not so much Michael Jackson, although you know I do appreciate what he was doing back then, but Quincy Jones. Yeah, Quincy Q, as they call him. Yeah, great songwriter. So my radio station uh... was was K one hundred and four in Erie, and I used to tape songs off the radio, and I was really big into. A lot of Motown songs, um, like, you know the song Power by the Temptations with, like, this yeah. low vocal bass line, power, boom, boom. Yeah, I, I love that stuff.
0: Well, to answer your question, the first records I remember buying were not um, LPs, but they were 45s, and they were the Partridge Family stuff. Bum, oh, my God. You know, however, back in the day when drugstores were places where you could buy vacuum tubes for your TVs. Yep, with tube testers. Yeah, and they had a little... Record section in your typical uh, drugstore, even Woolworths. You know, you go to well, Woolworths. I was going to say,
1: at Woolworths. Woolworths, f- which started in Utica, dime. New
0: York, by the way. The first Woolworths yeah. was about three miles from me. But, you know, anyway, uh, I remember having, like, money probably given to me by my grandparents or something. We didn't really do allowances when we were kids from the from the folks. I don't know why. You had but, a few bucks. Yeah, and I remember going to Phase Drugs in 1975 in a new mall that had just opened. And malls were, like, a new thing, you know. yep. We hadn't seen them all prior to that, I don't think. And I went to the Phase Drugs and I bought uh, The Captain and Tennille. What
1: was that big hit that they had? Um, <laughs> Muskrat Love? Yeah, I think that was on it. But what was the big single on that record? What was the, um, uh, I, Muskrat Love may have been the B-side. I, what was the first What was that big the hit? Um, the Captain
0: uh, and Tennille. Well, I'll look it up while you talk a little bit. But, um, uh, yeah, so I... Uh, uh, well, actually, let me let me continue a little more. Um, sure. As I got older, you know, one of the things that my dad is big in, into and my brother as well is Lionel electric trains and real trains. And I, I, I think they're kind of cool, but they're no passion of mine. And I, I started playing the guitar because, as Frank Zappa once said, when properly played, the guitar is the most annoying instrument in the world. <laughs> and I think I started playing guitar to drown out them talking about trains. What was
1: what was your uh, how old were you when you picked up a guitar that you recall? Uh, 16.
0: I started kind of late. And yeah. I did it kind of as rebellion, I think. But then uh, I was into metal, right? I, I like to bang my head, but I liked the more melodic metal, like the Scorpions, that had a singer instead of just the the uh, you know the the talking screaming vocals. You know, I, I liked I liked metal that had melody, and the Scorpions are a great example of that. I still think Klaus Minna, their singer, is one of the great rock and roll singers to this day. He still he still got killer
1: pipes. I used to play. Uh, I used to attempt to play uh, Roxy like a hurricane. Is that Scorpions?
0: Yeah, that was from their Love It For Sting album or something.
1: Yeah, there was. So we're up to, I'm thinking we're up to maybe junior high, the beginning of high school. I had some friends that introduced me to stuff like um, Styx and Foghat and Nazareth and Triumph and stuff like that. I was hearing a lot on the radio. But I was kind of indifferent to a lot of those bands. Instead, uh, um, a friend of mine was going through his records and showing me what he liked. And then he said, oh, I've got this record too, but I don't really like it. And I said, put that on. And he dropped the needle on it. And I like that, uh, point at which he dropped the needle on that album. And I listened to it for the first time is frozen in my mind is the single biggest influence on my musical everything. Although not that I play or record in that style, but just as far as blowing my mind. And that was uh Rush's album, Twenty One Twelve. Right. And, uh, to counter your twenty one
0: twelve, the name of that record was "Love Will Keep Us Together." <laughs>
1: <laughs> Love will keep us together. Yeah, I remember that.
0: You know, but then uh, to finish up, and then I'll let you just go finish your story. Uh, when I started playing the guitar as a form of rebellion, uh, and I was in the metal, I, I later learned that the guitar was an instrument, and there are actually mu- musicians who play it. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> a friend of mine got me into the, probably the album that hit me the hardest out of any record, single record by a, a, a single artist. I mean, J.S. Bach is a composer and millions of artists are playing his music. But in terms of an artist recording his own music, because I think Bach came before the CD— I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I, I could be wrong about that. But the album yeah, that. A few years, at least a few years. Couple, couple, two, three. The, the artist who that had the biggest influence on me in terms of that the guitar could be played in an interesting way, not just playing fifths and chugging along like Chuck Berry, you know, jungle, 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 you know, that kind of crap. Yeah, yeah. Was Alan Holdsworth's. Um, the uh, the EP he did on Warner Brothers. Now I'm having trouble remembering what that one was called. Uh, Road Games. It was I think it was a six song EP produced by Ted Templeman, who was Van Halen's producer. Because Eddie got him his base, like his like first deal. Eddie saw Holdsworth and went, "Wow, this guy's playing stuff nobody can play. What's up with him?" And he brought him to Warner Brothers and got him a deal.
1: And, I don't know uh, his stuff all that well, but I'll see your Alan Holdsworth and raise you the guitarist that I heard that kind of got me out of my boredom with uh, blues riffs and whatnot as well, and that was Pat Metheny. Yeah,
0: yeah. He needs a cream rinse, though. (laughs) <laughs> His hair is a little out a, of a control, little, and he went a little ends. over the top with the guitar synth thing, trying to sound like a trumpet player, and it just didn't oh, I, sound I, like I, a trumpet player to me. It sounded like a bad guitar synth, a pretty good I guitar player. I, I don't know.
1: I've got that preset in my uh, in my Roland. If uh, you ever GR30. play it for me,
0: I'll break your Roland.
1: <laughs> I love that sound. Oh, and then after
0: that. after the the Alan Holdsworth Road Games explosion, which had Chad – not Chad Wackerman. Yeah, Chad Wackerman playing drums, one of the former Zappa drummers. Just incredible world-class player, tasty, amazing player. Uh, it had Jeff Berlin on bass. Uh, and then uh, a friend of mine about that time hipped me to the Dixie Dregs. Mm.
1: And um, Steve Morse th- – th- is still Name a song that they favorite. did that people would know, because I think they're more famous, like, regionally, maybe not nationally.
0: Yeah, I, I don't even know. I mean, you can't say they had a hit. 99% of their music is instrumental music, which automatically means it doesn't get played on any commercial radio. And, yeah, I, uh, I can't
1: really think of one, but uh, I, I understand the style at least. So
0: Yeah, yeah. So... Yeah, so and then I kind of went from there, and as I mentioned earlier, I'm not I'm not a songwriter. My brain just isn't wired for that. My gifts seem to be in the area of production. You know, you bring me a song and I can make it better. I guarantee you that. You bring me a song and I can record it and give you uh, give you something that's really special when, when you leave before you leave and stuff like that. But. I just, my brain isn't wired for songwriting and we're going to actually talk about songwriting in the next segment, so I don't want to get into that now, but uh, yeah, so that's that's where a lot of my influences came from, you know, just very musical family and then I kind of found my own way, you know, I was introduced to some music and then right. some guys introduced me to some cool stuff and, you know, it's not, this, I, it's not like I wasn't listening to the first Boston record in 1976 because my brother Al was in the Columbia Record Club and, you know, he had all right. of those records and so I, I listened to neck. all that
1: stuff. Yeah, not so much them. I was uh, heavily, when I sort of in high school, I got heavily into uh, some really sort of disparate uh, bands, um, R.E.M., The Clash, Laurie Anderson, Gang of Four, stuff like that. That was kind of off the off the FM radio. It was college you know? radio stuff. Yeah. And then in college, I, I got involved with the radio station and I did new wave uh, um not new wave new age i didn't my first radio show was new age sunday evenings from 1 to 3 a.m. oh that's cool i always wanted to do radio that
0: was always a a fantasy of mine i think i might have mentioned this in the past to start up a pirate radio station and play prog rock and this podcast still, sort yeah, of i still really that want itch. to
1: play a I still really want to set up a i want to put a little f M transmitter in our attic and yeah. do a live a live thing a yeah actually feed. I think
0: you did mention that a couple couple weeks ago well anyway let's uh, let's run into a tune uh this is gonna rock for Scott from Ubuntu studio it's ubuntu by the way and um <laughs> This is a a band called the Luftwaffe that I did lighting and a little bit of sound for back in 1982, 1983 when I was like 16 and in high school and on the road with a rock and roll band touring the Northeast. Amazing
1: story. Yeah, Yeah, it's
0: a fun story. And I could tell more of that on another show, but let's check it out.
2: Origin. The for of three opinions and beyond and sunny as till we wage war again.
0: So that is one of my favorite heavy metal songs ever written. I think it's the best heavy metal song ever written. Uh, I get goosebumps every time I hear it. I used to, I couldn't wait most of the time when you're on the road with a band after you've been on the road for a while. You know, you just, you get tired of hearing the same stuff. But every time you they look would forward play that, to them doing that, song. I would look forward to that song, and it still gives me goosebumps. And
1: the, I would love to see it live. It sounds like it would be really impressive live.
0: Well, it's all about dying on a battlefield, right? It's got that medieval yeah. sort of vibe to it. But the the intro lyric is, I think, just genius. The drummer in that band, Tim, wrote all the lyrics. And the, the first paragraph or verse, whatever you want to call it, is some of us struggle for eons in battles of dubious origin, for mastery of minions and peons, insomniacs till we wage war again. I mean, that's just a good turn of phrase. I mean, who writes lyrics? That's strong. I mean, that's very poetic. It's, it's
1: rippingly brilliant, I think. It's good. It reminds me a little bit of... Uh... I was just playing a little YouTube clip from Conan the Barbarian where uh, he's saying, crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and hear the lamentations, lamentations of, of their women.
0: Yeah, well, what does he say? Uh, pleasure howls drowning out timorous lament- lamentation, L- Something like yeah. that. Pleasure howls so,
1: drowning out timorous lamentation. So it's got that medieval like, uh, war chant. The kinda, spoils kinda of kinda war. Thing. You get to steal yeah. their
0: gold and fuck their women, you know? So great stuff. So I wanted you to kind of talk a little bit more more about your process in terms of songwriting, because this is the All Scott, All the Time show. Scott from Ubuntu Studios, he wants us to talk about the music (laughs) process, and he wants us to play more metal. So you're listening to WKAL, All Scott, All the Time. And um, I don't write music, so why don't you start a little bit talking about your process. That's my chair squeaking, by the way. I literally oiled it last week, and it's... It's it squeaking again, and I'm backwards. using really high quality bike lubricants. So, mm.
2: um,
0: don't why know. don't you tell us talk well, a little bit about your uh, your songwriting? Um, uh, well, methods.
1: sure, sure I will. But um, I should should just sort of do a disclaimer and say I'm untrained in music. You know, I've had uh, I've I've had some guitar lessons. I've studied some theory. Uh, I don't really sight read. I can. Sort of pick out a line and whatnot, but I don't have a lot of theory as far as composing and whatnot and I've written so far I think it's eight or nine original songs, and then mostly have worked on covers and I can you know I'll record some original like uh instrumental bits now and then but um so it really is all over the map almost everything I've written has been in response to a songwriting contest challenge right and I and helped you with also one of those. and also has been written on a very tight deadline, and really that's almost. Given how busy I am with five kids, that's almost what it takes to get me motivated enough to uh, say, okay, everyone out, everyone go away, leave me alone, I need quiet time. But uh, most of the songs I've written have actually started with a lyric. I know a lot of musicians, an awful lot of guitarists especially, will start with a riff, of some kind, they'll improvise some riff, and then they'll just start. Sometimes even humming or whatnot over it without even having the words. But I will usually like polish the lyric to a certain extent, and then um, sometimes I'll sometimes I'll uh, like I'll go to bed with a ch- songwriting challenge in my head, and I'll wake up super early, and I'll grab my little digital recorder, and I'll like sing a a, f- a line or two of the lyric, and that'll turn out to be the verse. You know, when I wake up, it'll be in my head. Um, but, uh, you know, it's it's mostly been like, okay, I have this lyric, I polish the lyric to a certain extent, I record something, and then I just start like, um, really the, the writing process has come out of Having the recording set up and just using it, so just turning on the recorder and seeing what comes out, you know, and you mm-hmm. know, yeah. obviously I throw away an awful lot of it, but I'm just now getting to the point where I feel like I can, um, say, I, I get a a melody, I can record it without. I used to have to like um, make a MIDI track to sing to and maybe I still will for some songs, but like I would play a keyboard part and I'd record it as MIDI and then I'd tweak and edit it to get the, the feeling exactly like I want it because I'm not really a, a, much of a keyboard player at all. Right. And then I'd sing along with that. I'd have that track in my headphones while I sang the melody. But, well, uh, the last song I just sang the melody and then I felt loose and comfortable enough to where I could go back in and improvise the harmony lines. Well, what about, okay, so you've got a
0: lyric. You Maybe you have a strong idea of where the song is going to go, right? Or let's say you even have uh, a, a very strong idea where the song is going to go. When I go in the studio as an engineer, uh, producer, <clears throat> the whole band is there. Uh, we lay down drums and bass. And, yeah, there's a company in guitar and vocals, but that's just to guide the drummer and the bass player so they know where they are in the song. Usually the guitars are not keeper tracks, and usually
1: the vocals are not keeper tracks. And I've always heard that that you really would want like if you're layering a song from scratch, you always would want to start with drums and bass. Yeah, and, and I that's think what that's we probably do. true. That's I just I've never, yeah. I've never been that organized. Well, you can't you know? do that because you're not a
0: drummer, right? And you don't record with an ensemble. But that's that's you know for the people out there who are listening to this who are like amateur recordists. You know that's what we do. We go in and we get the drums and we get the bass player playing with them because in a real world, <clears throat> except for the band Rush, uh, bass players and drummers play together and lock up <laughs> uh, really
1: nicely. And, and they provide basically the groove for the uh, whole song. Uh, hopefully, a strong groove—the the thing that and makes the you want to dance. It, the bassist is sort of also signaling the chord changes as well. Yeah,
0: yeah, so, and then we we get the drums perfect and then we get the, the bass 90%, 80%, 95% perfect and then we punch in the few errors where the bass might need to be overdone. Then we come in and we do guitar overdubs and keyboards, whatever, and then vocals last. So what do you do? You've got a song. What do you do?
1: I've got a song. I mean, it's been different for each song, but it has been the case that like, I'd have usually a scratch vocal, I, you know. It's it's because you know when you have a full band in there and you're working together and you're you know someone's getting paid. I hope um, sometimes you really, we get paid. well. Okay, but you really uh, you have you know you want to get it through in a kind of an organized way. But there's a song that exists that the band could play from start to finish. Yeah, before they're usually you hit record. Yeah, yeah the last song that i did i had a melody for the for the lyric and i i had sung that as a sort of a scratch piece but then i before i recorded that i went back in and i actually started with a click track and my fretless bass and i recorded a few fretless bass phrases just you know, improvise. Actually, actually, no, I started with a little guitar riff on that one, which is this little, like just this larpeggio with a couple harmonics, you know, and I recorded that over and over again. I just played it against the click track, that riff over and over again. And then I played, made another track and I played a slightly, a riff that meshed with it and just played that over and over again. And then a third riff. And so I had three guitar riffs that kind of meshed together like little clockwork you know springs or whatnot, and then I did the similar thing with the bass line, and then to actually compose where that was going, I did the like uh, you know I liked the way it all sounded, but when they were all piled on top of each other, it was just kind of a big wall of of sound what was that so producer's
0: I, name? the wall of sound guy. The guy Phil Spector. Yeah, you were yeah. like Phil Spector for a, a few days.
1: But I, l- I liked the way it sounded, and then I added like I, I used a bunch of hand percussion in that song, like little bells and little some light bulbs and were they silver? And were they silver bells? No crumpling sleigh bells like crumpling paper and uh, you know torn paper and little I used a Tupperware container that I hit with a little stick you know stuff like that and I just I'd layered all that and then I listened to it and then it was like having a big wall and it sounded cool like I was happy with the way everything sounded but it was all playing at once it was like playing three songs on top of each other Mm. and so then I started using the fader automation to like pair everything back so like then the lines would Parts would fly in and out, you know. So and that's that's probably cheating by all normal standards. But I didn't really have uh, that song was odd because it didn't even have a real set of like a real chord progression. In other words, it right. probably. I mean, it is like changing from like a as like C F and G or something like. That. I don't even remember what key it was in, but it was changing like from one chord to another. But it was only like changing between a a one four and five or something like that but um but it was all there was no instrument playing a chord they were playing arpeggios or they were playing a bass line that altered up the scale a little bit so do you and then it was all the percussion but some some songs i have layered like okay now i know what the chords are now i'm going to record like a rhythm guitar part that plays those chords you know
0: and have you written songs with lyrics first and then built the music as well as writing
1: music first and then building
0: the lyrics later?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And but oftentimes, I mean, uh, very often the you'll have what seems like a finished lyric, and it's pretty close, but when you record it, you realize that that that, that like um, meter for that line just doesn't work. You know, like you can't sing it, and you thought you had it down because you were maybe singing it a little bit while you were writing it. Mm. But it's not quite right. And then when you uh, record it, well, first of all, you might realize this is too long, right? For for one thing. So sure. maybe you have to trim out a a verse or compact, you know, your four, your three verses into two verses. Um, and then you and then you may have to tweak the. You figure out verses are weird because. Um, You know, you have a melody for the chorus, and then you have a melody for the verse, but that melody for the verse maybe have to be altered a little bit each time. And this is something I never really understood or even realized until I had to start, like, recording my own verses and realize, oh, yeah, I have to alter the melody to fit the fact that this verse is different than the previous verse, you know?
0: Yeah, uh, in, in the studio... I, you know, the artists typically came in with finished songs, and I don't recall ever really asking any of them what methodology they used, lyrics first or music first. But, uh, you know, you can get good songs both ways. I'm absolutely convinced of that. So I don't even think it's that important. But, you know, it just might give uh, a little more insight to Scott from Ubuntu. Because this is the All Scott All The Time show. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we do cater to our audience, definitely.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I don't know, I guess we can talk about this a little more. We're starting to run a little long here, but you want to jump into another track?
1: Let's play another track, and then I have a, a, a maybe a closing question t- for you that I want to answer myself to.
0: Okay, well, this is some mindless sex rock metal from the Luftwaffe. Let's check it out. <laughs> I wasn't kidding. Some mindless sex rock from the Luftwaffe in the heavy metal style. It's
1: it's not really politically correct. It reminds me a little bit of Tenacious D. I check your dipstick. You need lubrication. My kielbasa sausage has just got to perform.
0: This song uh, is... beyond not politically correct it's
1: <laughs> but, I, but i love the guitars honestly it's really fun so yeah
0: yeah i mean he says what does he say to avoid some brutality display some punctuality i mean obviously <laughs> you know violence condoning violence is nothing we do and they didn't do it either they were just 21 year old guys trying to get laid playing in a rock band who happened to be good players and wrote really cool music too but yeah so what is this question you wanted to ask
1: uh, the question i want to ask is uh, think think maybe the last four or five years uh or you know three years or whatever what are some records that have come out just in the last few years that you've listened to that you would say i don't know are really influential or iconic or really kind of sum up the stuff you're interested in in music and then i'll give you mine if you can come up with a couple
0: well in oh right i'm a big prog rock fan gentle giant i forgot to mention them in the earlier but that alan holdsworth record really broke my cherry in terms of um wow you can do that with music and guitars cool then the dixie dregs then a friend of mine introduced me to gentle giant who i think is the greatest prog rock band yes or just pretenders but (laughs) you know gentle giant's been gone since 81 ish and then around 94 95 i was in a, a record store called mainly disc this is uh a store that opened up in the mid-80s when CDs were new and carried only CDs. While well, most stores were still carrying vinyl, they carried CDs only. And I went in there and I was listening to some music and I went, what the hell is that? And it was this band called Echolin and it just, it sounded like really cool modern prog, you know, recorded in more contemporary, a more contemporary way, but with a big Gentle Giant influence. And I heard them and I went, wow, that's, that's pretty huh. cool. So
1: that's one. Never, I don't know, I'd have never to think about the others. Never heard of them. I'd have to have to look into that. We'll have to put a link in or something. so what do you got? Oh, um, a few years ago, I think it was twenty ten I guess that's a couple of years ago uh b t uh Brian transeau released an album called these Hopeful Machines, which is um it's basically techno, but it's like a double disc that like it's, if you listen to it closely, it's really, I find it really fascinating because it's almost like a whole history of techno. Hmm. Like, as it blends together all these different styles. Techno and electronica, you know, is a huge umbrella for all kinds of different styles. And, and you know, ranging from house to trance and craft work and, you know, industrial and whatnot, and artists like Aphex Twin and all that, but uh, the Orb and Orbital. But this album, like, it's like this huge arc that covers all these styles, and it's beautifully done. I think it's just a masterpiece. And then it ends with a a cover of a Psychedelic Furs song. And I remember the Psychedelic Furs from, like, uh, you know, I was probably 10 or 11 or something. Right. But uh, a cover of a song called The Ghost in You, which is just, it takes the original song and just explodes it. Like, it just reimagines it, and it's this beautiful song. I, I just love it have been uh, I've also been getting interesting suggestions from uh, from my friend Sherwin Sleeves he suggested uh, Bonnie Prince Billy he's like a folk artist uh, and then a, a band called the books that does like sound collage stuff and hmm. then from my son he recommended an uh, sort of a trance album called a uh, band called Dead Mouse which is really one guy in his little bedroom studio yeah yeah and then there's a recent band called Mumford and Sons, yeah which they're is a british
0: like kind of folk band
1: folk rock yeah and i kind of I've been showing all that stuff I hadn't heard them until they were
0: uh one of their songs was used in uh a, a, a an original television program on um American movie classics mm-hmm. uh about building the railroad empires uh, I can't remember the name of the the show at the at the moment, but they played um Tim Schell. By uh, Mumford And that blew me away And I was like Beautiful song And it was so fitting And poignant For that part Of the the TV show It was amazing So Well I guess That's another show In the can Scott Well Yes indeed Check us out On the web www.bloodyveg.com Send us some feedback, feedback at bloodyveg.com. And, Scotts, call the voicemail line, 206-376-0397, and uh, tell us what you thought. Anyway, we'll uh, see you next time.
1: Take care, everyone.